In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along to the programme, John Paul's taking your calls 0818 103 103. And I'll give you the heads up that uh, Peter Dowdell normally joins us, our resident gardener on a Wednesday, not available to us uh, today. So hold off on any gardening questions until next week. Our texts and WhatsApps, though, are open at 0862 103 103. And yet again, uh, the newspapers are jam packed full of stories about RTE and this uh, followed uh, over three and a half hours the Oireachtas Media Committee lasted for yesterday evening it started at seven and it was close to it was gone half ten, I think, by the time they wrapped it all up. They all looked exhausted. In particular, uh, the media minister, Catherine Martin, looked exhausted by the end of it. And we are going to be discussing a little bit later on what did we learn last night from the Oireachtas Media Committee and where does this, yet again, where does this leave RTE and when is this saga ever going to going to end? But of course, every time that we get drip-fed more information or we find out something else that's controversial with regard to RTE, the knock-on effect ultimately is always on the TV licence. And yet again, I see that the TV licence sales have started to tumble again. Last week, the uh, sales were... Um, were down over half a million euro. The pub, this is real public protest against paying the charge and it's resulted today. 21 million uh, has been lost in revenue to the national broadcaster since these controversies began. Bearing in mind that we're not even a full year into these controversies. They first came to light last June with the Ryan Tuberty. Yeah, remember that story. That was back last June. So we're not even a full year into these controversies and 21 million so far has been last last week of course began with the pressure mounting on the new director general Kevin Backhurst there was push on him to reveal details of the golden handshakes to executives particularly executives that had resigned and of course it ended then with the resignation of the RTE chair Shun Nirali and in the last week of January there had been some good news for RTE because licence fee sales went up for the first time in over six months they went up by €400,000 however the rate of payment has worsened once again since the drama is back again taking centre stage. The Media Minister Catherine Martin's refusal to express confidence in Shuani Rally last Thursday night of course resulted in her resignation and then in the fourth week of February sales of the TV licences have fallen by €544,960 so over half a million and that's 25% less 
them paid their TV licence in 2023. And of course, the last week in February of 2023, the scandals hadn't even begun at Montrose. People just automatically went out and renewed their TV licence. Uh, so far this month alone, RTE have lost 1.1 million in revenue just through decreased TV licence fees. So I expect after what we heard last night and this story is rumbling on that it, it, it will turn people off who were considering buying a licence and of course it's always at the end of the month that a TV licence uh, falls due so we can expect I imagine in the beginning of March people who were due to renew their licence will suddenly say why am I renewing my licence when all of these controversies continue 0818 103 103 and a story that we touched on yesterday to do with school transport is making the papers uh, today because the government now is going to examine whether to allow people over the age of 70 to drive school buses. The Transport Minister, Eamon Ryan, is to commission a report that would look specifically at that area of providing opportunities going forward. And according to the Education Minister, Norma uh, Foley, it could include over the age those over the age of 70 because even yesterday when we were talking about it, we had people who'd reached the their 70th birthday fit, hail, hearty. They had been school bus drivers. They wanted to continue driving the school bus, but of course they weren't allowed to do it because they've reached 70. But as Tim Lombard pointed out to us yesterday, the West Cork Senator, those same men and women, just because they're over the age of 70, they can pull up to a school, they can load up the bus with young people and they can take them to a match or they can take them to a science fair or they can take them on a a school day out, but they can't jump on a bus errand and drive the children to and from school and uh, bus Aaron. I don't know how long that policy has been in place, but they don't permit people over the age of 70 to drive under their school transport scheme. So Minister Foley says the policy is now under review by bus Aaron because ultimately it'll be bus Aaron who will make this uh, decision. But she also said that other efforts are now being made to try to attract uh, drivers because there is a shortage of drivers. She said she's seen specific campaigns being targeted at women who might like to take up the up the opportunity to drive uh, a bus. She accepts that there are difficulties in attracting people to become bus drivers and that of course has a lot to do with the fact that we Ireland now has full employment status. She yesterday, uh, Norma Foley launched the, finally got that review of the transport scheme, which I think we've been waiting about two years. It was two years ago this month that she launched that review. Anyway, she finally got to publish it and she finally got to speak about it at the Cabinet or was she got approval uh, for the review at the Cabinet uh, yesterday morning. It, According to the review, thousands more children are to become eligible for school transport, but there will be a series of pilot schemes. They'll be held before the proposals are rolled out nationwide and as Senator Tim Lombard said yesterday he's very much pushing forward West Cork to be included as part of some of those pilot projects. Only time will tell if West Cork will be selected or not. Prices for tickets they're going to remain the same. If you have a child in primary school going on the school bus 50 euro a year. Secondary school children 75 euro a year. And the cap for a family ticket uh, will remain at €125. Now, currently, primary school children, they have to live at least 3.2 kilometres away from their school in order to qualify for a place on the bus. The plan, 
that Norma Foley is putting in place is that would drop to two kilometres and then ultimately it would drop to one kilometre and that would put a lot of school children on the bus. Secondary school pupils at the moment, they have to live 4.8 kilometres away from their nearest school to be eligible for a ticket. She wants that to drop to two uh, kilometres. However, it won't apply to people who live in urban areas. The theory there is that public transport is already readily uh, available. Now, the pilot projects will focus on secondary school pupils only and it'll be secondary school pupils travelling to schools on a mix of the traditional school bus transport and public bus routes and obviously it will take in the distance criteria. The scheme will be phased in between now and 2030. So I don't have people who are waiting and hoping that it's going to come in next year, the year after. It's 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 a, it's going to be a long running uh, 2030. There are children going into secondary school now who will have left secondary school by the time this the scheme is completely up and running. The first changes though will come in not for next September, the September afterwards, 2025 to 2026. The review uh, recommends expanding access to the scheme. And the hope would be that we would have an additional 100,000 students who would be availing of a bus to school. And just think about if we had 100,000 students getting on a school bus in their area, think of the amount of cars it would take off the road in the morning. I mean, drop off and collection time outside any school is always an absolute nightmare. If we could take 100,000 of those students away from the parents' cars and put them onto a school bus, it would be, I think that would be welcomed by so uh, many uh, people. Now, obviously, there's going to be a cost involved in all of this. The cost at the moment is €440 million. It is an expensive scheme. Now, that will jump to €672 by the time it's fully rolled out in uh, 2020. in in 2030. But the bigger problem is going to be getting the additional buses, but getting the drivers to drive those buses. Now, Minister Norma Foley also said that during the consultation process, uh, parents of children with disabilities, they looked for the option of allowing their children to travel on the mainstream bus service. And for some children with disability, you know, going on the local school bus, maybe the brother or sister would be an option. It wouldn't be for every child with a disability. So she says it's an option, obviously, that they hadn't looked at before, but it's an option she's going to uh, consider. But she did emphasise that the dedicated special school transport scheme will remain in place because that is a very, very important uh, scheme. So, some good news for people who need to get their sons and daughters onto the school bus, but there's going to be a bit of a long, long lead into it. But I think if they could move and, and change the criteria for over 70s being allowed to drive on the school transport scheme. I think that would free up a number of drivers who are willing and able, people who've been doing the job, some of them for many, many years and wanted to continue once they hit their 70th birthday. But because Bus Aaron have that rule in place that once you hit 70, you can't drive a school bus. I think if, if they do nothing else immediately but that, it certainly will free up a number of drivers who'd love to go back and drive the school bus. Some of your thoughts coming in on um, the latest utterings from RTE. Mike says, Patricia, what a poisoned chalice Minister Catherine Martin as media minister is dealing with in RTE. Is it any wonder people are slow to get involved in politics when you see what she has been put through at the moment? So Mike having great sympathy for the media minister while somebody else has the very opposite view, says Catherine Martin, has to go. Leo won't sack her, though. Why? Because she's a member of the Green Party. If they sack her, Leo knows the Greens will walk and get 
guess what will happen then? The government will collapse. They can get away with anything they want at the moment because nobody in the current coalition wants a general election. Patricia says another texter for RT. Surely it's time to call a halt to this total madness that has now been going on for months. I'm sure I'm not alone, been sick and tired of the constant doll questioning committees and I wonder what is the end goal. We know people left with generous packages and golden handshakes. The politicians are rubbing their hands with glee at all the airtime they are getting. Is it not time to draw a line and move on? We've all had enough of it now. And I think a lot of people I really think a lot of people would agree with you uh, on, on that. I mean it's a story I've been following since last June and there's times where I'm going, oh my God, can I hear any more of this? William Glamire says when you hear the confidence in the media minister being questioned, how many people have confidence in the current government? Our army and Gardaí are decimated, hospitals are in crisis and now we are talking about reinstating our health boards uh, again. Who has confidence in the current government? That's from Willie in uh, Glamire. Okay, that's just some of your thoughts coming in. Now an email in to uh, corktoday at c103.ie can anybody help poor Claire here? She says, please, Patricia, can you put a shout out to your listeners and ask them, did anybody find a Samsung phone? It was lost in Donnerail Park on Saturday last, the 24th of February, between quarter to four and five o'clock. Now, this particular phone has precious videos of our newborn son which didn't back up to Google Photos. I'm offering a substantial financial reward for its safe return. Oh, my heart goes out to you because it's bad enough to lose a phone and your contacts and all of that, but like phones can be replaced. But it's when you lose something as precious as that, our very precious photographs that are on phones, but to have a video of a newborn baby, that's a one-off. It can never be repeated. So did anybody find a Samsung phone, Donnerell Park, or did you hear of somebody who found a Samsung phone? Or if you're in Donnerell Park going out for a walk keep an eye out it could be somewhere on the ground maybe nobody has found it yet but it was last last Saturday between quarter to four and five and we have all of Claire's contact details with us C103 Now unfortunately motorists have started to see an increase in the cost of petrol and diesel and this has followed a number of decreases over several months so what's going on Blake Boland Head of Communication for the AA Ireland uh, joins me Good morning to you Blake Good morning. You're welcome to the programme. Now, I think it's been about four months of falling prices at the pumps. Why is it suddenly back up on the rise again? That's, you're absolutely right. It was four months of drops in a row, which was really good news. We were welcoming that, but we've had an abrupt halt now with a, a small increase. Um, there's probably a few different reasons for that. So we're, we're seeing that the shipping lanes in around the Middle East um been disrupted, uh, Houthi attacks. We've also got the ongoing conflict in Ukraine and between Russia as well. So there's a number of factors there. We've also saw an interesting one was a very large dip in inventories in January. So global stocks of, of oil reduced by about 60 million barrels in January. So we're just kind of we're keeping an eye on, on, on the prices at the moment, hoping that they, they don't get back up because we've we've had a good for the last four months up until the February fuel price survey. And and when you start to see the price of crude oil rise on, on the global market, is the knock on impact at the pumps, is, is that almost immediate, Blake? 
No, it, it, it's absolutely not. And we're always a little bit nervous just to, to tie those two things together. So the, the price of the, the raw product, being the crude oil, will have an impact on what we pay at the pumps. That's that's certain. You, know, you can't get around that. But the timing of that, we don't quite know. There's many, many steps in between. When you extract that oil out, you still have to refine it. You might have to ship it around before you refine it. Once it's refined, you might have to ship it again. And then there's local deliveries where you've got to get it from fuel depots to the local petrol station, but you know, close to where we live. So there's many, many steps on the way there's also a big uh, there's i suppose a long list of taxes that are there so mm. you know more than half of what we pay at the pump is on taxes so uh, there, there's definitely a link but we're always very slow to, to to draw that direct correlation between the two you mentioned that global stocks have started to reduce is there a reason for that it, it's really hard to say because there's a lot of the, the opec and opec plus um, countries over the winter, kind of at Russia and Saudi Arabia being two that I can think of, were saying that they were going to reduce supplies and we're seeing some of those come back on. But it's how they unwind those restrictions, how gradual that is, is, is what's having the, the impact here. Another thing that Russia did was that they kept a lot of their refined diesel in their home market just to try to control the prices there, keep the prices a little bit down. So there was a little bit less export out there. But this is one of those systems that's so extremely complex and there's many people out there that are, are traders in these products trying to make money and it's just, it's next to impossible to predict how these things go exactly. Yeah, and as you say, you've got to look at what's going on from from a war uh, point of view with, with what Putin is doing and what's going on in uh, Palestine. I mean, there is talks of a possible uh, ceasefire in Palestine. Would that help in, in any way? I mean, it might, because with the, the attacks on the shipping lane, they might decrease, so that might bring prices down a bit. Will that help? Yes, absolutely. But there's other factors at play that might have a bigger impact that just completely negate that. And, and one thing that's going to happen here in Ireland only is that we're still waiting for the final tranches of excise duty restoration. So we're going to see those coming in. That's a total of eight cent per litre on petrol and six cent per litre on diesel. And they'll be phased in between split between April and August. So when you talk about something else that might have a positive impact on prices, we're going to see those re- restoration of fuel excise duties, which could wipe out other gains elsewhere. Yeah, that certainly isn't 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 good news, but if it's if the prices continue rising at the pumps, do you think there'd be any hope that they might defer them again? We, we may see that a, a lot of pressure has come on the government. And we, if we go back to, you know, give or take about a year and a half, we saw prices creeping up. I think I saw my local petrol station at, at 220 at one stage and there was a huge pressure on the government. And even though prices did drop in the subsequent months after that, there was still a lot of pressure for them to defer that because we were and, and still are to an extent in a cost of living crisis. A lot of people struggling out there and adding fuel bills like that just makes things a little bit more difficult for a lot of people, for sure. And and I saw, um, I read a piece in, in the paper from you, you've, you've a top tip for motorists, um, reduce your speed. Yeah, that's right. This makes a huge impact. When we talk about fuel consumption, obviously the, the size of the engine that, that you have has a big impact. You know, a three litre uh, engine is going to use a lot more fuel than a, a small 1.2 litre in a hatchback. But one thing that everybody can do is just to reduce the top end of their speed. Now, we actually did a test. It was very interesting. So we went from, from Drogheda up to Dundalk and back. So on the motorway, and we did that in two separate cars, one fully electric uh, Skoda Kodiak and another full uh, diesel. 
and um, sorry, in the Nenyak and, and the Kodiak. And we did the trip twice. We did it at 100 kilometers hour and again at 120. And in both electric and diesel, we saw a 29% drop in fuel for that trip. Wow. So that's one way that people can, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a big impact. People can, can really save themselves a lot of money. And another thing as well, and I've been on the show talking to you about this uh, in previous months, is road safety. It's just we're having a really tragic time. And if we reduce our speeds, we might also save a few lives as well. So this is, uh, this is beneficial in, in many fronts. Yeah, the road deaths plague are, are just truly shocking. I, mean, I think we're 35 or 36 already um, for this year. And I saw Drew Harris this week. I mean, he's calling out uh, people scrolling on their phones while driving. I mean, how in God's name can you concentrate on the road if you're trying to see what's happening on Instagram at the same time? Yeah, you're right. And, and we have heard, I mean, anecdotal reports of that. It's, we haven't seen the direct evidence on, on paper, but we know it's, we see it happening ourselves. Um, you know, we hear stories of people and they've got their phone perhaps mounted on, on one of those suction cups attached to the, the windscreen and they'd be catching up on the football highlights. And, you know, and that, that's just one thing that is, is impacting it. There's people who are still consuming alcohol, consuming drugs and driving. And perhaps the next morning when they're still under the influence, they're speeding. There's perhaps not looking after your tires, you know, driving on ball tires, a car that's not been service so let's not just focus on one thing this is um it's society wide and there's, there's many impacts that come in terms of dealing with road safety yeah a listener just said i was driving last week and i was stopped in traffic lights uh, in the city i glanced across as the car uh, next to me this uh, was in rush hour traffic and i could clearly see that the person was uh, watching television they had the phone stuck up onto the windscreen yeah it's just it's crazy it's absolutely crazy you mentioned ev uh, cars the cost of electric cars uh, the running of them. That's continuing to fall, though. A little bit of good news there. It is, yeah. EV drivers will certainly be happy. We saw another drop for for um, electricity prices. And this just isn't for, for EV drivers alone. This is you and I in our home energy bills. It, it, it factors in. So that, that's good news all around. But yeah, we've certainly seen the, the average um, figures that the, the, an EV motorist in Ireland will pay. So that's that's down to 900 per year. That's down from 967 the previous month. And we calculate that based on a national average of about 17,000 kilometres per year. But that also, another thing just to point out, that that's only the average. So somebody who's got a night rate who can charge their car specifically between program the car you know it's charged between 2 and 6 a.m let's say energy you have a tariff that's that's eight cent just over eight cent at the moment that national average for seventeen thousand kilometers drops just below 300 euros and just to give you a little bit of context a similarly sized diesel vehicle will be just over two thousand for that same figure so there's massive savings there if you get the ev that's right for you and you get a night rate um, and even if you don't you'll still save money but if you do it right you will save yourself a massive amount of money on your fuel bill okay and barnard says would you ask blake any sign of electric vehicles coming on the market a second hand uh, car that might make them more affordable for some of us. Yeah, we're actually seeing some very, very interesting trends at the moment. And, and I use that word cautiously interesting because um, what we're seeing now is, is a lot of, of EVs that were, were bought in this, this kind of wave of sales that's happened over the last three years. They're coming off lease now. And you can actually find some really, really good value if you're looking for a used electric vehicle. You know, if we go back three years, you're really, your only choice essentially was a Nissan Leaf that might do 150 kilometers or something like that. But there's many out there on the market now. Now, some people, unfortunately, are being burned a little bit where they bought a car a year ago and they're finding and that they're not getting that resale value that they liked. But if you're a person that's in the market for a used used EV, then you might be quite happy at the moment. You're doing well. OK. And uh, just back to the excise uh, duties. Somebody wants to know, what are, what are the dates when they're being brought back in again? You mentioned April. 
Yeah, so April and August, and that's a total of eight cent on petrol and six cent on diesel. And as far as I know, that's going to be split half. So we've got four cent on petrol and three cent on diesel in April, and then another four cent on petrol and three cent on diesel in August. And with the prices already going up, not great news. Listen, Blake, we leave it there. Pleasure as always. Thank you for that. And thanks for joining us. Thank you. Good morning to you. That is uh, Blake Boland, who is Head of Communications at AA Ireland. Following a sold out live podcast tour last year, Niall Breslin, a.k.a. Brezzy, is bringing his multi-award winning Where Is My Mind podcast on the road again next month in advance of his Cork Opera House gig. Delighted to say Brezzy joins me live in studio this morning. Good morning to you, Brezzy. Good morning. And you're very welcome. And, th- and we appreciate you taking time out to come, come to us in studio. Um, you, you're going to be in the Opera House on Saturday the 21st of April. You didn't perform there last year as part of the tour, did you? No, actually I did. I was meant to play the Opera House uh, in Cork. I announced two tours during and every during the pandemic and every okay. time I announced a new tour, a new wave would come. So oh. I stopped announcing them because I thought it was my fault at that stage. <laughs> that every time a new sh- show would come, a new wave would come. So it was actually too heartbreaking to put a tour together and then get cancelled and yeah. put another tour cancelled. So this is me coming back. Yeah. Uh, that was such a tough time, wasn't it, on, on artists? I don't think we've even... Be- I think everybody, I don't think anybody's had a, a chance to process it. I, yeah. and, and then you don't need to lament it and, you know, think about it all the time. But we haven't had a chance to process it. We just told to get going and go again and say nothing and pretend it didn't happen. And it definitely had impacts, not just professionally, but very much personally on me as well. I, 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 it was an absolute whack. I didn't know how to deal with it. Uh, and I ended up living with my parents. I cocooned my parents for the two years, so... Yeah, it was a strange time, as I said, like not pros- processing it and moving on. I don't know if it's the best thing. Yeah, because I, I saw you did a podcast, I think it was for Imro at the time, during COVID. Mm. And it was all about, you know, being aware of people's mental health was just, and that was so important for people to take time out and just to try to come to terms with what was happening to all of us. Well, I would argue that the pandemic was very much a psychological pandemic, uh, more than it was a physical one. I think the impact it had on people psychologically and still has is is really something we need to address. And I know they're going to do an inquiry into it. But one of the things I kept saying is like, on Nefit, where's the psychologists? Where where are the people talking about this absolute psychological strain that is put on society? And it really did. And I think at the start, I, I think... There was a bit of novelty to it. We're like, oh, we're back at home and yeah. the weather's good. And, and then very quickly, there was there was an intensity to it. And I remember when Leo Varadkar told, you know, anyone over 70, they have to cocoon. And I was sitting in a room with my parents and I was like, as if, it, as if they don't already feel vulnerable and they're being told they can't leave the house. And nobody ever talked about that. And, and what that would do to someone. So I think it's something we have to kind of kind of tip away at. And yeah, and it's funny, actually, later on, I'm talking with the hospice. Uh, they've had their first study called Time to Reflect on people who lost loved ones during the pandemic. And there's mm. a whole nightmare wow, yeah. contained in that. People who lost loved ones and weren't able to be with them. Well, we, we lost my uncle to COVID very quickly. I, an auntie died of cancer. She never got to actually go and get checked because, oh, because she, she yeah. had a pain in her back and wouldn't go into hospital. Uh, well, she wasn't allowed going to hospital, and then my other auntie uh, got cancer as well. So, these are the realities of of of, and and it's not a blame game. No one's putting fingers and looking for scapegoats. Like that's not going to solve any problems. But I think we need to acknowledge the impact that had on people. And you know, for somebody who works as a mental health campaigner for the last twelve years, here's a very good opportunity to actually invest properly in how we 
we, we support people with mental health issues. Yeah, well done, well done. Okay, let's bring you back to what you're here to talk about. This is your 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 podcast and the show and your tour that, that you're doing. How do you transfer an award-winning podcast that we all either sit at home and listen to or you might be out on your walk listening uh, to it, but we, we have a tendency to do it on our own and I, and I love po- podcasts and I love getting absorbed into a podcast. How do you transfer that onto the stage? I suppose long before I was a podcaster or I was a musician, I'd been on stage for... 20 years so like the first rule of being on stage is you've got to entertain regardless of you whether it's educational or whatever there has to be a form of entertainment you're putting people in the room for two hours uh, they need to leave with something in their pockets you know yeah. so that's the first thing I thought of so there's a lot of music in it there's yeah. a lot of spoken word monologues guests it's quite a dynamic show it moves you know it's not just me sitting down theorizing on my mental health at all and it's actually quite a humorous show people don't expect that from it because they're going it's going to be around culture and mental health. I said, it's not. It's about the state of my mind and the hilarity when I look back on it. And, I, you know, don't get me wrong, it was pretty difficult at times, but there were some moments when I looked, how did anyone not think there was something wrong with me? And you can almost bring that lightness to it and that reverence to it. And people love that because it makes it relatable. And the other thing, it's quite a vulnerable show as well. Like I, I, I keep saying to people, I work across the board with people, you can be strong and vulnerable at the same time. And that's a message that I always try to get across to young people is like, you know, that is part of the show. You know, I am quite vulnerable about what the things that have happened to me. But I also, you know, I'm it's quite a strong thing to do to get up on stage and talk about that stuff. And do and, and you then impart your knowledge in the hopes that somebody that in sitting in the audience will identify with something you've been through and then you almost try and give them the tools this is what you need to do I think it's really important it's a really good question because I I completely evolved how I think about this I have no right to stand on stage and tell people how to live their lives because I don't know what they're dealing with Mm. I don't know what they're carrying and anyone who stands up on the stage and starts telling you they've it all figured out is lying to you nobody has 150 years trying to figure out this piece of meat between our ears (laughs) I'm not there to do that I'm there to empower them to understand that these things that we all navigate are things that every human tends to do and there's a collectiveness in that and there's a comfort in that uh, and I think that's important I've evolved my thinking I used to always say it was about the individual you know you need to you need to look after yourself but now I started to realize just look around us the chaos of the world and mm. the the difficulty and overwhelm that we see on a front row seat every single day and if you're feeling tired exhausted anxious and rinsed right now good you should be and I think that's something people need to hear. It's 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 not normal what we're seeing. And it's not normal how we have to pro- deal with it. You know, as I said, back in the day, there were bad things happen. We just didn't see them all the time. Mm. So all of this now stuff. Now they're constantly in our they're face. constant. And that's overwhelming. And a lot of people are feeling that right now. And I think that's part of the show. It's like, OK, I'm feeling it. You probably are, too. And maybe we should we should meet there. And and you set up the stage almost like it's kind of a sitting room. You, you plonk a couch on the stage. Is, is is that kind of the format of it? Yeah, and a piano, yeah. which oh. is an interesting <laughs> one. There's no plonking pianos anywhere, I can tell you. Some crack moving them. But uh, I, I'm a piano player by trade. That's how I started my yeah. music life. So I, I wanted to bring a lot of piano into it, into the theatre stage and play these songs that I composed with spoken word. I use a lot of words from Michael Harding and Jonathan. Love and Michael like Harding. These. And I just use their words and I play to them. And it's it's kind of it's a lovely it's a lovely moment musically for people. So the whole thing is it's very laid back and formal and entertaining. But it, it the key to it is, as I said, when people leave, they feel like they've taken a deep breath. Mm. Um, 
And some people are like, is it like, do we meditate and stuff? No, like I would never do that to somebody <laughs> to put them into yeah, the Cork Opera yeah. House. OK, lads, we're at, and it's so funny. You do some shows and there's lads, lads sitting in the front with their partners going, what am I doing? Here? I've been dragged Jesus. here because ourselves wanted to yeah. go. And then 10 minutes into it, it's like, oh, Jesus, it's not oh, too bad. Yeah, you know? This is and a bit of crack. Yeah, that's what, and that's yeah. what I'm trying to get, you know. And you have a, you, you always bring a guest along uh, to each of your performances. And you, you, have, you have a wonderful lady for the Cork Opera House. Yeah, Trish Lewis, Trisha yeah. Transformation. I, I, you know, she's magnetic as a person. She's got huge charisma. Um, everything about the kind of way she has approached what she's doing is, is a huge indication. What I'm talking about is that, that, you know, if you empower people with the right type of language, the right words, they can, they can take control of a lot of things in their lives. And she's a prime example of that. And mm. I think when I was thinking Cork, I was like, right, who, who will I get? Will I get a musician? You know, will I will I guess whoever? And then I was like, no, I'll get like I've I've never interviewed her yet. I've met her many times, and I've never interviewed her. And it's a different thing interviewing somebody. Yeah. So I was like, let's get to see if Trish is around. She says I am, but you'll have to pick me up in Mitchellstown on the way past. <laughs> so that's that's the only caveat. And is 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 that what you will do with Trish on the night? You you'll sit and interview. You'll sit and it'll be like somebody listening in on a conversation between the two of you. That's what we, that's what it's meant to be like. Yeah. And, and when it's like that, I think the audience really connect with it. And the first hour of the show is me, music, a bit of monologue, spoken word, and then the second half is the guest comes on and we have this fairly open, enjoyable conversation. And I think that's the bit I get to relax a little bit with as well because the, the kind of bulk of the show is finished and now it's just a conversation. And yeah. I think the audience relates And to she's that. great. She's uh, we've, we've had her on the programme many, uh, many times. Okay, somebody wants to know, does Bresley believe we are getting better at talking about our mel- mental health? I think we are. I think there's two two sides to that. Part of my PhD research is we're, we're also moving to, you know, put a pathology in normal human distress, like things like anxiety and stress and overwhelm. These are normal experiences and we shouldn't have to always put a label on them, you mm. know, and I think we have to be careful with that. I think uh, societally we definitely are uh, reducing the stigma. I think when it comes to the more serious mental health issues that we can see in society like schizophrenia and bipolar and other things, I think we're still struggling with them. I think they're still very much stigmatised. And I think systematically, this is the big focus of my work I don't think we're delivering the systems that require that we need to support, especially young people. These systems, it's not just about money, it's about how we do this. And one of the big focuses of my work and my charity's work is early intervention and mm. early prevention. So, yeah, it's great society's doing its job, but I think systematically now and politically, they need to step up here. And the, the issues are complex, the solutions are not. And it's very important people realise that. There's very that's, simple that, things. That's an important statement. Because, you know, we're always hearing that mental health is the poor relation of the, the health system. And yet we've got successive governments throwing money at it. Yeah, and it's in care So it's we're about 6% of the health budget on mental health. I'm yeah. more interested in what the 6% is spent on. Yeah. You know, we have to be very focused. So I look, I'm looking at 200 years of mental health intervention and I'm looking at what we did. And as difficult as it was, we moved from treatments like malaria treatment, lobotomies, these awful barbaric treatments. And we've moved on, I suppose, out of the institutionalization that Ireland was very, you know, by 1950, Ireland had the highest level of people in psychiatric institutions in the world. We loved putting people into institutions. You just got committed. Just committed. For, for, and the really sad part of, of my research is most people, well, a lot of people who got committed, there was nothing wrong with them. They didn't even have mental And that's your yeah. issue. So uh, yeah. there's legacies that still prevail yeah. from that. Yeah. And our current government, I don't think, know what to do with that. I don't buy into the fact that they don't care. I, I, I just can't. You know, I... I, I don't either. I, 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 I think yeah. they, it scares them. I think this area scares them. I think, 
you know, I'm not a cheerleader for for our government in any way. And there's huge issues within policy and social issues in this country. We know that. But we're not the UK when you look at what's happening there. We're not America. I can still connect with these politicians and, and I can still ask them, why aren't we changing these things? So I think we need to value that in our democracy. And it's something I value hugely. I don't agree with a lot of what they do. But when it comes to mental health, I ain't going to solve this problem by throwing stones at it. Uh, we have to bring solutions now. And there are people doing that. So what I would say to politicians is you, you need to, this needs, a, this needs a paradigm shift. This needs an entirely different way of looking at mental health. We need to move away from the strict focus of the medical model that we have. International literature has told us time and time again, we need to look at more social and psychosocial interventions. Uh, it isn't all about a pill. No, and, and the thing about it is when you look at historically when you look at mental health most people who've ended up in institutions were traumatized they've had famines cost you know wars yeah. they've had independence they've colonialism very traumatic history ireland has had and a lot of people actually when psychiatry started when institutions started it was called moral management and they just took people in they gave them refuge they fed them they kept them safe they kept them warm they took them for walks that's what it was well, and then very quickly it turned into the, the institutionalisation yeah. that we see now where it, it, it moved from treatment to control. And these are things we need to talk about. And that's why in our current system we have all these legacies that still prevail. And I, for one, am, I'm really, really do my best to try and bring some potential solutions. Well done. Well done. And actually, I read in the paper yesterday the project you're involved in to honour the unmarked graves at the former psychiatric hospital, St. Lomans in Monagar. And obviously the psychiatric hospitals all over the country. Mm. There's there's obviously, yeah, there's yeah. obviously, they were just buried, some were just numbers. Buried with a number, like a penal system, like they were prisoners, having not committed any crime. And a lot of that was really sad because their par- their families didn't want their names on the crosses because the, the, the stigma and the shame. So what we found is just a mass grave in St. Lomans of 1300, just a big field. And there was 1300 people buried there. And as I said, an awful lot of them had very little wrong with them. Uh, they were. I always say to the families that we've worked with, you didn't. They didn't fail society. Society failed them. them. Yeah. You shouldn't be carrying shame over this. And I think institutionalisation is something Ireland's finally coming to terms with. Uh, and there's a lot of work to do. But we haven't even began to look at the psychiatric situa- no. situation, because I don't think there's been any kind of will to do it. So I'm just taking where I grew up. I grew up beside St. Norman's. Uh, I knew people in there. I knew people who worked there. These were good people doing what they thought were the right thing at the right time at that time. But uh, we need to acknowledge it now and give them some integrity back. Well said. Well said. OK, uh, back to where we started. Saturday, April the 21st in the Cork Opera House. Are there tickets still available, Brezzy? There are a few. It's flying out. Okay, and my whole well thing is to try and sell out Cork Opera House is always a dream of any touring musician yeah, or and, artist. Uh, and as you say, the, the pandemic got in the way. There's no pandemic getting in the way this time. Uh, so uh, go to uh, corkoperahouse.com for your tickets. Listen, Brezzy, it was a real pleasure to have had you in the studio. Thank you for that. And Thank we'll chat me. again. Sound. Good morning to you. I can see a lot of people uh, enjoyed my chat with Brezzy and somebody says, good to hear somebody speaking so much uh, common uh, sense and there are so many solutions to mental health it doesn't always have to be the uh, the medical model and somebody suggesting you know a wide variety of alternative things like massage reflexology acupuncture meditation exercise writing down your problems natural remedies there are other ways to look at it as well okay and our thanks to uh, Brezzi as I say he is bringing his show to the Opera House next month 0818 103 Three. We're nearly one month into the return system whereby we are paying a deposit on our bottles and cans. And I know uh, we're hoping on Friday is the first 
just to have a look back on the first month and how it's going and what are the problems. But we're already this week starting to get calls in from people, including Dennis. He wants to highlight what he reckons is a problem with the reverse vending machine at Little in Mallow. He took his bottles there last week, went to put them in, they were rejected. A member of staff says, oh, Dennis, your bottles are wet. That's why they won't get them. They won't accept them. He then went to the Tesco, which is just down the road from Little in Mallow. He tried the machine there and the machine took his bottles. He tried the little machine again yesterday. It stopped working after five bottles. A staff member had to come out and clear the machine and put in three bottles in order to get it to work again. And as a little bit of compensation, he actually gave Dennis the receipt for his five bottles and the three bottles that the staff member had used. He reckons there's a problem with some of the machines. And another caller was at her local Tesco and she said the machine wasn't working either. And lo and behold, I left here yesterday afternoon and said to John Paul, I'm going off to do my first reverse vending uh, machine with the deposit system because I finally got a bag of uh, plastic bottles that I had at home and I went to my local Aldi that has two machines and I had used them during their trial last year and they were working away and I went in and both the machines were out of order and it is just so frustrating. There I was with my bag of bottles, which by the way, I just put back into the car and I'll attempt it again uh, today. So there does seem to be some problems with some of the machines and I don't know whether they just fill up or what actually goes wrong with them. Still getting commentary in following my chat with uh, Brezzy. Uh, Michael says, it's okay to be angry if you are suffering with mental health, but it's better to channel that anger into something like going walking, running, swimming. Alcohol is a complete no-no, particularly if you're taking medication for mental health issues. That's from uh, Michael. Thank you, Michael. And continued good health to you. Now, we've had some commentary in to do with Home Helps and I'm literally just after spotting another text is after coming in and I had a letter in this morning from the North Cork area. But our first line of commentary came in yesterday from a listener in West Cork in the Bandon area asking us, if we could, did we know anything or could we find out anything about the new home help rosters, home help, healthcare assistance? Uh, people still affectionately refer them as home helps. There are new home help rosters to begin soon in Bandon, according to the listener who emailed us yesterday. Uh, it says we are being kept completely in the dark with conflicting stories being bandied about. Can you find out anything for us, please? And somebody else says, hi, I'm just wondering if you could put it out there, please, as to why the uh, home care assistance have changed to a roster system. Older people are very confused and frightened by all of this. As before, they had one home help who would come into their house. Uh, now they've got all different home helps. And I'm wondering what are people's thoughts on this? Thanking you, I would prefer you not to put my name out over the radio, which is fine. Anyway, we contacted the HSE yesterday just to find out what was going on in West Cork with regard to uh, rostering uh, and rostering around, not just for Bandon, but for the, we're assuming it's right across the West Cork area. So the HSE Cork Care Community Healthcare Statement, it's a lengthy statement I don't need to read it all out to you but they say following national agreement between the HSE and staff representative groups, our healthcare assistance, i.e. the home help contract of employment contains a requirement for staff to be rostered the agreement included the introduction of rostered arrangements to give staff greater certainty regarding their hours of attendance with travel time factored into these arrangements. Healthcare assistance will now work in 
teams to set a roster arrangement over a four week period and that facilitates the cover of leave etc while maintaining service uh, to clients which obviously is what is, is all about. Now they say we appreciate that the changes brought about by these rosters may initially cause some worry for both clients and families and they are sincerely apologising for any stress caused by these pending changes. Where possible they will ensure that a client's current home health continues to deliver some of their support whilst equally ensuring that the remainder of the service is delivered by similarly qualified and professional home support staff. In some instance though they say it may not be possible for existing staff to remain with the clients and I think therein lies the problem. If you've got an older person who is very much used to Betty or Rita or Jenny coming every morning at a set time and knows the run of the house, knows what needs to be done, knows the care needs of this person and suddenly they're going to be getting a different person on another day. That can be upsetting both for the person who is getting the home help but also for the family members who worry on behalf of elderly people who can be quite vulnerable at times. But I suppose what they're saying in the statement is it was an agreement and staff representative groups were involved in these decisions. I I think the idea of the rosters and having them over four weeks, that's certainly for the worker themselves. That will make sure that they'll know exactly what hours they're going to be working over the next month. And then obviously they're able to factor in if people need and want to take holidays, uh, etc. But I can understand the concern on both sides, both for the people who work as home helps. They get so used to and they build up relationships with the people, particularly people, you know, if they're going into them five days uh, a week, they build up relationships with with these people and suddenly to be told, you mightn't be going into that person at all or you may only be going in uh, once a week. So I can kind of understand it. All I will say is that, you know, the fact that it is a four-week roster, the the person who you're going in to visit, the client, they will get to know the new home helps, but it is just going to uh, take time. But that's what's going on. But according to the HSE, it was a national agreement. So I'm assuming while we're hearing from the West Cork area, if this is a national agreement between the HSE and staff representatives, I'm assuming every home help and every healthcare assistance contract of, of employment are now going to be rostered. So this is going to be coming in uh, nationwide. Because then I also got in a letter um, I, do, I know I won't uh, this listener doesn't want her name called out which is fine this is a letter from the North Cork area to say I am a home help in the North Cork area and the HSC want the home helps to do their time sheets and mileage online and a lot of us do not have internet or access to an iPad or a, li- a laptop to do this and we also don't have any knowledge of how any of this works plus some of us have a phobia of this type of technology so I would like if you could air this on your programme as a lot of us are stressed out enough with the worry of this uh, as well as the stress of our job. Some of us have written uh, asking about this matter as we were told last year that it would be okay to continue submitting handwritten paperwork and now they want to change all this and we're getting no replies to our letters. Plus many more would be grateful if you give us a bit of your time on your uh, programme. Please don't uh, call out uh, out my name thanking you in advance. Okay, so that seems to be another issue. Is that tied into the rostering? It probably is and like with everything, they're trying to put everything online but everybody, the listener is right, not everyone is tech savvy. I'm also thinking of people living in a rural area that mightn't have good broadband 
broadband, mightn't have access uh, to the radio. There's a cost implication uh, as well for people. Not everybody is uh, are online uh, and particularly people who are managing very tight budgets, they might be able to afford broadband, etc. So we will get back onto the HSE this morning to see if there's any way for home care assistants who are not tech savvy, who don't want to be submitting their timesheets and mileage online. Is there an alternative for them and can they continue to keep doing it paperwork the old-fashioned way that they used to do it. 0818 103 103. Your thoughts and uh, comments are uh, welcome. And can I just pick up on um, I know we're running it on the news this morning, something that we did speak about on Monday on the programme and this was the fires, the five fires that broke out at retail premises in Cork City. Well done to the Gardaí. They've charged a man in connection with those fires. Detective arrested a man uh, eight in his 20s. So it looks like there was only one uh, involved he was charged yesterday afternoon as part of the inquiries into the fires. He was later charged and is due to appear before Cork District Court at some stage today. Gardaí have charged a man in connection with a number of criminal damage incidents which occurred in the city centre on last uh, Sunday. Now, one business suffered losses of up to 100,000 and that was in smoke-damaged uh, stock. And when we were talking with the Cork City Fire Brigade, they, were, they mentioned that, that while they, all the fires were brought very quickly under control, but it was the smoke and anyone who's ever had any kind of a fire, even a small fire in your house, will know how, what smoke damage can do. And if it's, you know, new stock in a shop, there's basically nothing you can do that's all for the bin so €100,000 and that's just on one shop. Now Simone Gardi went back and started examining CCTV systems and of course we've brilliant CCTV in all of our shops and, and throughout the uh, city so they were then able to identify the suspect. Now the alleged criminal damage incidents, it was about quarter past five on Sunday, that was when the alarm was first raised and the first fire was spotted it was a small fire, it was in Lifestyle Sports on Patrick Street. It was claimed that clothing and other items on display had been set alight. Now members of the Cork Fire Brigade obviously and the Gardaí they responded uh, immediately. Now the fire was was so small thankfully by the time they got to it it had been dealt with by staff. So while they were there trying to work out what, what had happened they started getting follow-on ca- calls about further incidents from nearby uh, shops and those calls came in in quick uh, succession all of them reporting small fires on their premises. But, you know, this is there's another cost implication on this as well in that the fire brigade, several units of the fire service had to come out from Anglesey Street and from Ballyvalam. There was a fire reported in uh, Superdry, that's also on Patrick Street. The next outlet, that's on Upper Lane. Boots Pharmacy on Half Moon Street, they had a fire. And then TK Maxx, uh, that shop on Corn Market Street. Now, in some cases, it was customers uh, who spotted of the fires uh, before they took hold and actually in some cases I think the one in TK Maxx it was a, a customer who managed to put the fire out very quickly and he had a son or a daughter with him who said go get a staff member but he managed to put out the fire uh, very quickly but it was it was distressing for, for both for the workers and for customers who are in the shop trying to, have to evacuate and you just you just don't know when you hear somebody shout fire or you start seeing smoke you, you know nobody knows what it is I mean luckily they were very small fires but at the time people didn't realise that so well done to the Gardaí uh, very quick to react there and a man in his 20s arrested before the courts today 0818 103 103 John Paul's taking your calls you can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 C103 103 jobs.
UCC Campus Accommodation there on in Victoria Crossing Cork. They've got vacancies for summer receptionists, housekeepers and housekeeping supervisors. Summer staff are required to work from the 13th of May to the 1st of September. You're invited to go along to an open day which will be in Victoria Lodge at Victoria Cross on this Friday between 10am and 4pm and they're there again on Saturday between 10am and one. The Inchidani Lodge and Spa are looking for function bar staff. CVs to eShepherd at inchidaniisland.com. O'Reardon's Sheds, they're looking for a manufacturer for their steel sheds at their workshop in Charleville. Full training will be provided. Call 063 81284. And Munster Drone Services in Mill Street are looking for a part-time office administrator. CVs and a cover letter to HR at munsterdroneservices.ie. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With McCarthy Insurance Group, proud sponsors of the Cork GAA Club Football Leagues and Championships. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. C103. According to a research just out from the Irish Hospice Foundation, some 70% of people bereaved during the pandemic believe their loved one did not receive the death they would have wanted. CEO of the Hospice Foundation, Paula O'Reilly, joins me to discuss the Time to Reflect uh, survey. Good morning to you, Paula. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I just think that is such a sad statement to hear our families feeling that their loved one didn't get the death that they uh, deserved or the the death they would have uh, wanted. What effect does that have on the bereaved if they feel almost like their loved one was left down. Thanks, Patricia. Yeah, this, this, the survey was based on the responses of 2,200 people and of that, 50% had lost, um, experienced the death of someone close to them. And it was really to hear what were their personal experiences. And certainly 7 in 10 did come back saying it isn't the death that, that they would have wished for for that person. Um, and some of that was related to, you know, the person being alone at the time of their death or the care not being as consistent as they would have liked. So certainly um, it, it, it made that end of life very difficult for the person, but also the family, um, feeling, you know, sad that they couldn't be there um, because over 30% of people said they actually couldn't be with the person at the actual time of their death. So really the personal experiences that people reported uh, through the time to reflect really shows how the pandemic made it more difficult for people to grieve the loss of someone. Because aside from the end of life care, then, you know, we also know that there was funeral restrictions, there was capped numbers on attendance. So, you know, even the grieving process has been impacted for people. So it really has been a period of time where, you know, people did feel quite lonely um, quite isolated from their families and then feeling that, as, as you rightly said there, that they maybe let the person down in terms of their end of life wishes. Yeah, I remember speaking with a family when the restrictions were down to 10 people being allowed at a funeral and it was a large family of uh, 10 siblings. So literally just the 10 siblings were allowed to go to the funeral. And I remember talking with uh, one of the sisters, you know, who spoke about 
walking out of that cemetery and getting into 10 separate cars because that's how the restrictions were so strict at the time and just going home and she spoke about the, the loneliness of just having buried their mother and just the 10 of them standing around the grave and it just was heartbreaking to hear. Yeah, and I think absolutely there was there was several of um, the people that responded to the survey that would have had very similar um, stories that would have said, you know, in some ways it was nearly like a lottery who got to go to the funeral. Um, and, and certainly a lot of people would say it's a moment in time that they wouldn't be able to forget. Um, I do think what came through um, in the report which was lovely and I think it reflects Irish society, was that people did say that despite the restrictions, that they did find that neighbours and their community mm. found alternative ways. So as you said, even though you couldn't attend the funeral, many people referenced the fact that they would stand out and line the street, um, you know, to acknowledge uh, the person. But it doesn't replace, you know, the hug, a shared cup of tea and shared memories on that day, which... I think ultimately when you read the report come across as very difficult and and really for us in the Irish Hospice Foundation it was to listen to people's experience which is still very uh, fresh for many people um, and look at how can we better inform uh, public policy going forward in terms of um, like a public health emergency again. So certainly some of the, the recommendations are around investment and education on end-of-life care with all staff and equip them to ensure that it's compassionate end-of-life care that, that is delivered. Um, the other thing that the, the survey did highlight that 70% of people did start talking more about death than dying and certainly 50% of people said they'd started to have a conversation uh, in terms of their own will and preference and plan ahead. And, and I guess one of the things um, this morning, Patricia, is really, you know, that the importance of actually sitting down with family and planning ahead really does, you know, ensure that the person, when it does come to end of life, that you do know what it is that they want, whether they want to go to hospital, what, whether they want to stay home, who they went, want to be surrounded by. So I think there's a really, you know, a good opportunity as well for us to look at investing and actively promoting uh, awareness around planning ahead at end of life. Yeah, absolutely. That, that certainly is a positive that you can take from from your from this uh, report. Uh, but because anyone who's ever had uh, a loved one and who's required the work of the Hospice Foundation uh, will know that it's it's not just about the person that's dying. You offer this wonderful holistic care to all of the other family members, and I think that was the one thing that was taken from all of us during the pandemic was those final days of being with your loved one as they were passing. And that's something that the hospice, you know, you you play a very strong role in that in supporting people. Absolutely. And, you know, there's the individual hospices uh, uh, around the country and then us as the the, the National, uh, the Irish Hospice Foundation. Certainly one of the things we responded to during the pandemic was the establishment of our bereavement support line. And that was really to provide you know, a, a phone line so that people had a confidential space to actually talk through what they were experiencing. And year on year, the numbers um, calling that line have increased. So it does show that, you know, that I think even last year we had 17% increase in calls to the bereavement support line. So I think there is a need there. 
to to invest and support around bereavement care. And and it isn't even when the person dies. It really is when the person gets a diagnosis. That's when the family start to grieve because, you know, they, they, they understand that, you know, the person is at end of life and they won't, they won't be longer here with us, you know. So mm. I think those sort of supports, the bereavement support line that we, we established in collaboration with the HSE has really been beneficial, but it was in response to a need, as you said, that, you know, it is about the person dying, but it is about the people left behind. And the report did show that although most people got good support from family and friends, and although the pandemic made their grief harder, um, they did feel that they managed through it. But there was 40% of people that said they, they, they looked for professional help or access to support services and they and they couldn't receive it. And then there was 14% of people within that survey that also said that they, they scored as having more complicated grief. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Which really meant that they're finding it very difficult to, to move on from the death. Yeah and accepted. So I think there is a lot, a lot of unacknowledged bereavement there and grief. Um, and it's about how do we support people better in the future. Do you also spoke, Paula, to healthcare workers? I mean, for some yeah. healthcare workers, the numbers of uh, of deaths uh, and again, they were dealing with it without family members uh, around. That must have had a real impact on a lot of healthcare workers. Yeah, and I guess the survey hadn't specifically targeted healthcare workers, but actually one in five people that responded were a healthcare 
uh, worker. And, you know, their, um, what they reported was very similar to families that, you know, certainly there was a nurse that commented how, you know, you might be supporting some, you know, 10 to 12 very sick patients. And, you know, you knew you couldn't deliver the care that you wanted because it was such a stressful situation and not being able to do that really stated the, 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 the nurse and the healthcare worker. And similarly, um, you know, there's some comments in the report whereby the staff member is the one supporting the family, uh, the, the person that's dying and, mm. and the family are outside looking in. And You know, I think that's, um, you know, professionally very hard for healthcare workers. Um, so I think the emotional impact uh, for healthcare workers also came across in the report. And it is, it goes back to what you said there earlier about the bereavement support for people. And it is looking at what the professional and um, impact on, on staff was that emotional grief and how do we support people in their workplace around bereavement as well. Um, because healthcare workers actually did come across as being more resilient, but certainly they experienced very similar to what uh, families and, and friends were reporting as well. I don't know if you watched that ITV um, series that was on, Breathtaking. Did, did you see that? It was around an NHS hospital and how they coped. Now, I know it was a drama, but it was based on a book written by three doctors who had worked during the pandemic. But it really brought home the impact on staff. But what I loved in one of the scenes was the humanity of some of the staff, you know, when they realised somebody was dying on their own. You know, it was just so difficult on staff. It is. And, and you know, we had a number of um, families who had commented about staff uh, working in nursing homes and like that, where, you know, a lot of those staff weren't, um, uh, who, who maybe travelled to Ireland to work, who weren't seeing their own families and how stressful that was as well. But certainly healthcare workers, I mean, there was um, one quote that we used in the, in the survey where, you know, the staff, member said that it's the moment in time I'll never forget and I think she probably speaks for you know a large cohort of healthcare workers that would feel the same and we have our national nursing home program which was in response to the expert panel review on COVID um, and that is a quality improvement program around educating staff within nursing homes on compassionate end-of-life care but also on, on um, looking after yourself and your own health and well-being and certainly even now, staff are still, you know, reporting on, on, on the challenges and, and the emotional impact um, that they experienced during COVID. So, yes, it's, it's, it's certainly still, still fresh for, for a lot of people. Yeah. And what do you say, Paula, to people listening this morning who have huge uh, regrets, some would say even feeling huge anger over the death of a loved one during the pandemic? What do you say to them to try to, to try to get some peace and, and for them to move on with their own lives? Well, I, I think, you know, there's there's certainly a lot of resources um, that are available out there and, and, and people are very individual in terms of how they experience, how they grieve. So what I would say is, is that if, if, if you do feel that, you know, despite having a family and friends around you, that you do need to talk to someone, I would really encourage your listeners to um, ring the bereavement support line, um, which is one 800 And certainly the, the volunteers on that phone line will, will talk through with you and then advise you and give you um, information or support or signpost you uh, to relevant uh, sources that, 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 that would help. 
Okay, and more than anything, it's it's a it's a brilliant report. Well done to everybody involved. But we just need to learn, don't we, to make sure there was mistakes made. But we need to make sure we never make those mistakes again when it comes to 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 death and to dying. Certainly, and I think one of the recommendations was around future public health policy or or the review for COVID. I think you know the survey. It's only representative of these 2,200 people, but I think it's really important that we listen to their voices um, and they've documented their experience. I really think that should inform any review and future public uh, policy in relation to health emergencies or other emergencies as well. Okay, well said. Listen, uh, once again, thank you for joining us on the programme uh, this morning and well done to everybody at the Irish Hospice Foundation. You do amazing work and this really is a terrific report. Uh, Paula, thank you for that. Thank you very much, Patricia. Have a good day. uh, You too. Bye-bye. Paula O'Reilly there, uh, CEO of the Irish Hospice Foundation. C103. Now, according to Irish tradition, women are allowed to propose to their suitors on February the 29th only. And the tradition was first conceived in the 5th century when St. Bridget asked St. Patrick if women should be allowed to propose since men were too slow to do it. St. Patrick agreed after much convincing from St. Bridget but said only for one day every four years. So that day is upon us which happens to be tomorrow. But what if you don't have a suitor in order to propose to? Well you might consider going along to a matchmaking night in the Strand Bar in Vickerstown and it's happening this Friday night and join me with all the details is Maureen O'Sullivan from the Strand Bar. Uh, good morning to you, Maureen. Good morning. You're very Thank w- you so much for allowing me the opportunity to go on your show. Well, you're, you're very welcome. You've got a very special matchmaker in attendance. It's the one and only Willie Daly, who will be well known to people if they've gone to any of the Listoon Varna matchmaking festivals. If my memory serves me right, he was with you just before the start of the pandemic. That's correct, Patricia. Willie came down in February 220. And like that, I was on your show. And thank you very much again for the airspace. And uh, it was a real success. So basically, on Friday night, I'm just the facilitator. And I'd be there to make people feel more comfortable, help them to mix and chat with others. And we're based here in Motaha, which is in the parish of Inascara. And we're like bordering the whole rural areas of Donamore, Blarney, Abolic, my own parish, and all around there, you know, Grenada. So we have a huge catchment area. Excuse me. And this is really just an opportunity to let people know because a lot of people don't engage with social media. And a lot of people then during COVID and that, the lockdown, they became very isolated. There's an awful lot of rural isolation. And people, by nature, are quite shy. And even when they come to an event like this, they feel the need to meet somebody, to talk to, to know where to go, where to stand. You know the way yeah. things are. And people find it very hard to go to something on their own. I think us females are great. We'll, we'll be, we might be able to rope in another friend uh, to go with us. But for the men, they can sometimes find that difficult. They can. I even know people now who said, oh, look, I'll start going back out again. And they've actually gone to the car park of a venue, sat in the car for maybe a half an hour and decided, I can't do this. Ah. I'll come away. So, you know, there's lots of people like that. So the important thing is, you know, Friday night is not all about love. It's just really about meeting somebody, making a few friends, somebody you can pick up the phone to maybe and say, would you fancy going for a walk? Would you like to go to the cinema? Or maybe you have, I have a friend actually, and she loves cooking really nice meals, but she has nobody to share these meals with. 
So she was even thinking if a few people got together and maybe uh, met at somebody's house and everybody bring along something and just have a chat, maybe a drink or two if they want to, and just create a bond like that. And maybe it might, you know, go on then to going for walks and stuff like that. That's what it's all about, really, you know. So it's it's about friendship as much as it is about romance. It is. It's very much about friendship, too, because romance isn't always an option for a lot of people, you know, and a lot of people maybe have, you know, bad experiences in the past. So I would just say to anybody who's coming along Friday night, forget about the past. Come in with a smile on your face. I'll be there to say hello to and to introduce you to people. And Willie is the guest man on the night. And we're going to have a bit of music as well. So hopefully we'll have a good crack. And isn't that what life is all about, really? And open to, you're not putting an age group or age limit on it, are you? But I would be thinking myself that it would be people kind of 30 plus because I think the younger people are grand. They've all their own social occasions and everything. So 30, 40 up and there is no age age limit at all. So uh, describe how the last night, how the last night went and what people can expect. Exactly. The last night that it was done, eight yeah. twenty. Yeah, it was very successful. I felt a lot of people that came were very, very shy oh. and very to mix so this time please don't be shy just come along everybody is welcome and it's a totally free event and it's just targeted at having a bit of fun getting people to know each other and get back out there again that's what it's all about because even in your earlier the earlier people you saw now you spoke of mental health and all this reflects on everything doesn't it? It does, it does actually it's like a thread that's been running through the programme today right from, from Brezzy yeah, talking I, about the, the effect it had on him and then obviously what's happened uh, with the hospice yeah. so it, it is and you know and, and when, when I was sitting chatting with uh, Brezzy when he was talking about you know cocooning I know that was the older uh, age yes. uh, group but there are a lot of people who still have not engaged with the world following everything that happened with the, with the pandemic. It's almost like we got into, because I, I know myself, I had to do a big push to start going back out again. We kind of got into a groove of, I shouldn't we grand at home. And you forget that there's a big, beautiful world out there and you forget that there are people uh, that you can meet up with. There are new friends that you can make. And, and I think that's very much what Friday night is about. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I hope it's going to be about, you know, because it's not all about getting married and meeting somebody like that. No, that would be good if that was if that was an outcome for certain people. But it's just to get back out there and smile and laugh and, you know, be friends with people. That's what it's all about. And is it much harder for single people, Maureen, to meet up, especially those living in rural areas? Oh, I think it is because the options are pretty slack now. A lot of people used to go to the social dancing scene and a few of the big venues, as you know, over in Donnerail and that are closed down. And then the smaller venues are quite small and they're kind of a lot, very coppily, a lot of them, people that enjoy dancing. And it's hard for people to meet like that. And then people come to the pub and... A lot of people, you know, the phone is responsible for an awful lot of non-interaction now because you even see people coming to the pub now, couples, and they're going to get out the phone each and spend the night on the phone. What's that about? I mean, if you're going out with somebody, put the phone away. You know, <laughs> you you are singing from my hymn sheet, Maureen. It drives yeah. me nuts, uh, particularly if I'm out in a really nice restaurant and I start looking around and everyone's glued to their phones. It just drives me. I feel like standing up and saying, would you just put your phones down and talk to each other? You've come out, yeah. and, you know, on a nice night out. Enjoy the company that you're with. And of course, for, 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 for particularly for the younger generation, I suppose the dating apps uh, are there, but the dating apps don't work for everybody. 
no, they don't. And a lot of people I know uh, during COVID and that went on Tinder and that, not wanting to mention any particular one, but just giving yeah. an instance. And met loads of people for coffee, which is a safe thing to do in the middle of the day here and there, and were totally disillusioned. And a lot of people then made arrangements to meet up and like half an hour before they're good to go, oh, I'm sorry, I can't make it. It's like people were getting a buzz off of cancelling last minute. So I think, you know what, now this might be just call it organic or call it what you like, but just face to face is better than anything because you can see who's in front of you. Straight away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what what role will Willie Daly from Liston Varner, the famous matchmaker, what role does he play on the night? Willie will come along with his famous magic book, just <laughs> as celebrity status more than anything else. Now, if people want to do the old-fashioned way and sign up with Willie Daly, they can do that, I suppose, too. But Willie only charges a few bob and he does it the old fashioned way. He would like write to people. So he then would just take a small little fee, maybe to cover a postage stamp or cover the cost of his phone. If he was ringing people, he sort of sits down and looks at people in particular areas and kind of say, oh, there's John. He's 55. He's living in North Cork, we'd say. And I've got another one here on my book saying Mary Murphy from around that area. Sure, look, I'll put them together and see how they get on. So he might ring up John and say, hello, I have somebody here that you might like to meet and give them the phone numbers and they can just text each other and arrange to meet up. That's how he operates in a very old fashioned way. Nothing to do with the Internet. And he's he's still doing that, Maureen. Still doing that. Yeah, imagine that. He's still doing it. Okay, But... You know, and before he charges only a tiny fee then, whereas people that go into the, you know, the professional diet or sites, excuse me, um, they would pay a couple of grand. Some of them are very, yeah, you've got to be very, very careful. We've had, we've discussed and and spoken with people who got stung by some of them. You've got to be, some of them are very reputable, but some of them are not. So so you do do have to be extremely, extremely careful. Now, do you want people to register on the night morning or do they simply show up? Very only just show up and if they feel like registering with Willie I'm sure he'll have some forms with them and if they want to do that but it's really all about just mix and mingle and make a few friends and we will have I'll be there on the night and uh, another friend of mine will be there on the night you know helping people to fill um, forms if they want to do that and hopefully if we have enough people we'll do a bit of speed dating Okay, all right. So you've got it all lined up. Do you know? Do Do you know from the one in just before the? I suppose the timing of it was bad. Just before the the pandemic in February of of twenty twenty. Do Do you know? Did were many friendships formed? Did any rom- romances yeah. blossom? I knew about five people that were still in contact during that year with people they'd met on the night. Whether anything had come or not, I don't know out of the out of the relationships. But I know that they met and everybody enjoyed the night and they had a great crack. Well, that was brilliant considering we went into a lockdown situation when you weren't allowed to meet <laughs> up. So well done to anyone who formed any kind of a friendship after that. OK, so it is the Strand Bar in... Uh, Mata, Motaha. I'm always we were in the office yesterday trying to discuss how you, how you pronounce it because it's spelt very differently. So it's Motaha. It? It's in Vicarstown. No, it's not. It's Motaha. Motaha. That's Irish. Mot- is it Irish for it's some? A- 
meaning the warm place. So hopefully oh, it? it'll okay. be warm on Friday okay. night. <laughs> okay, and it's in uh, Vicarstown. Listen, we wish you the best of best of luck with it, uh, Maureen. I think it's a, it's a great idea. We hope lots of uh, single people show up and friendships and maybe even love will blossom. Uh, who knows? But thanks a million for joining us on the programme today. And thank you so much. Okay, bye bye. Have a good day. Bye bye. That is uh, Maureen O'Sullivan joining us from the Strand Bar in uh, Vicarstown on their matchmaking night this Friday, 1st of March. And it is open to all. And actually, I mentioned it is tomorrow is the 29th of uh, February. Anyone pregnant at the moment will be a bit nervous, wondering will their baby be born on the leap year day uh, or not. But there's a lovely story making the Irish Independent uh, today of uh, some sisters who are both celebrating their birthday tomorrow. So they only get their birthday every four years. But this is really unusual because it is sisters. They're not twins, by the way. Uh, Robin McHugh will celebrate her 16th birthday tomorrow which technically is only her fourth official birthday. And then her sister Lana celebrates her 20th birthday tomorrow, which is really only her fifth official birthday. The mother said that the joint birthdays had made the two sisters unbelievably close, even though they're four years apart. She says she calls them the frozen twins because she said they have the exact same birthday, the exact same day, but she said they don't look alike, but they're so alike in many other ways. And she says having two daughters born on the same day and both on leap year came as a big surprise to her. She said it's something that you don't plan for, plan for something that you don't necessarily want. But she said it happened and she said it is fantastic. It is a one in a two million chance. They are the odds of having two babies born on the same day, four years apart. I would be suggesting to Mrs McKeown that she does the lottery at one in two million uh, chance. So Lena, uh, Lana and Robin, by the way, they normally celebrate their birthday today. They normally go on the 28th of February because they like to keep their celebration still in the month of February because I know of somebody else who was born on the 29th on a leap year and he always goes for the 1st of March because he feels that's the correct day uh, to do it on. And while while joint leap year birthdays is certainly unique, um, it does bring with it a bit of trouble. And the mother was explaining if they if the girls are trying to book something online, you know when you've got to fill in your date of birth, as soon as you put in the month of February, a 29 won't automatically drop down. So they have come across some problems from, from a tech point of view. But a pair of uh, sisters are from Lanchestown in uh, Dublin. Uh, happy birthday to them. And we will put shout out tomorrow. I know we don't normally do birthdays but I think the fact that you only get a birthday an official birthday once every four years if you know of anyone celebrating a birthday tomorrow do let us know. It's time to give away more free money. Free money. Snap the app only on C103. Give me. Now we're looking for another qualifier for Snap the app and we go to the phone lines where Eileen O'Donovan is in Dramina. Good afternoon to you Eileen. Good afternoon, Patricia. You've got the call, so that means I do this. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> well, I couldn't believe the number rang. I was like, oh my God. And I know, and I could I could see your name kept changing to your husband's name. Were you trying to push the husband on? I was getting a little bit kind of nervous. Were you? <laughs> and what, what, what are you up to in Jemina today? Well, today I decided housework and bookwork and download some apps to catch up my work. And I'm so happy now I did. And did you just download the app today? I was in the car driving yesterday and I heard you talking about the app. And I said, OK, that's on tomorrow's list. I'm going to do it tomorrow when I catch up with my job. 
Well, your luck is in from day one of downloading the app because you are our qualifier. Congratulations, Eileen. So keep that phone, keep the phone on this afternoon and be available because you could be getting a call from Martina. And if you do, you'll have won yourself 500 euro. Fantastic, Patricia. Thank you very much. Have a lovely Thank day. Uh, bye-bye. 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 That's Eileen O'Donovan in Dramina. Only downloaded the app today. So it proves even if you've downloaded the app many, many months uh, ago, you could be one of our qualifiers or you could be one of the lucky ones. On the day you download the app, you discover that you get the call back. Um, now you need to download the C103 app to your phone and then you just snap a screenshot of it. Uh, but you can only enter the screenshot when we tell you to do it because I have to say all morning I'm getting photographs in of the C103 app and they don't go into the draw it's only for the period of time where we open the WhatsApp where we are playing at the Snap the App this is week two and we are going to have another week of 500 euro winners Kerry Ahern in Cross Barry who I spoke with this time uh, yesterday she was keeping her fingers and her toes crossed and it paid off because she got the call back from Martina yesterday afternoon and she becomes 500 euro better off your chance to win Snap the App download today and listen to play all week long only on C103 0818103103 John Paul taking your calls The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council making Cork County the place to live work, visit and invest in See CorkCoco.ie Tariff Parish there hosting a meeting uh, tonight at 8 Now it's to discuss the future of parish life while taking into account the reducing numbers and the increasing age of our priests, those who are involved in any type of ministry or any type of parish committee work are please asked to make a special effort to attend this evening. Clonakilty Access Group appealing to householders with hedges, trees and shrubs going onto public footpaths to please cut them back and remember the deadline uh, for the open season for cutting hedges uh, ends this Friday the 1st of March. They're also appealing to premises that put up hanging baskets and floral displays to please ensure that they don't impede any passerbys. And children are invited to a colour in Mike the Snake again this year. And guess how long it grows before the Mallow St. Patrick's Day Parade. You pick up and drop off your colouring sheet to Mallow Library. You need to do it before 4pm on the 15th of March. And don't forget to include your guests. And this year, Mike is looking for his cousin, Vincy, from New Jersey. (laughs) Uh, Lots of prizes uh, to be won. And tomorrow, Thursday, is the final day for the returning of enrolment forms to Newmarket Girls School for the 2024-2025 school year. Contact the school between 9.15 and 12.30 or you can email office at Newmarket gns.ie and the Donnerail Drama Society will perform the Angry Jurors in Donnerail Convent Theatre again this coming weekend Thursday to Sunday nightly at 8 booking is essential and if you want to book tickets you can call between 6 and 9 0894 885415 Cork Today on C103 with McCarthy Insurance Group proud sponsors of the Cork GAA Club Football Leagues and Championships want great advice? you know who to talk to cmig.ie c103 at last night's sitting of the Oroctus Media 
Media Committee, Minister Catherine Martin revealed she was aware that Shuan Nirali was likely to resign as RTE chair before the media minister went on primetime last Thursday night where she expressed her disappointment in the chair. West Cork Fianna Fáil Deputy Christopher Sullivan was part of the Oireachtas Committee who questioned the minister last night and he joins me this afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Christopher. Hey, Patricia. And, it, it, and I'm conscious of the time. I know you've got to be in the doll for 25 to, so I will have you gone in plenty of time. Uh, but I have no. to say, it was because of your line of questioning that we discovered that Shuani uh, Rally was looking like resigning before Catherine Martin even went on to prime time. Were you taken aback to hear that the chair had indicated that she might resign, particularly if the minister sent her a letter? Yeah, it's interesting when you're in that situation, Patricia, I remember um, when she first revealed this information, I thought to myself, is this new information? Has this already been made public? Do we know this already? And then I kind of you do this mental search in your head and you realize, actually, this is new information and we haven't heard it. And it's quite significant. So I, I was taken back and you could probably see that in the reaction in in the, the playback of the Doyle Committee last night that uh, this was um, quite astonishing. Um, and to be fair, I, I it kind of sheds light and make more, makes more sense in terms of the minister's approach to the primetime event on Thursday night. And what I mean by that is she she was now aware that even if she sent a letter uh, to Miss Neuralic, to Shin Neuralic, requesting just simply requesting a meeting, then the chances were that a resignation would be forthcoming. Now, she's heading to prime time. It's revealed that, look, this is going to be a front page story in the newspaper tomorrow. So she's left in the predicament. Does she reveal... Um, this information on private time on the airwaves nationally, which, you know, understandably raises eyebrows and you wonder, is that the proper way to proceed? But the alternative, I guess, was that she didn't reveal it, that she somehow evaded the question and, and kept it on the wraps. And then you have the media and the, and the print media uh, leading with it as their head story the next day, in which case Minister Martin is being accused of withholding information from the public. So it kind of makes more sense in terms of the predicament that, that she was put in. It also kind of, for me, highlighted uh, very obviously something that had been kind of, I suppose, suspected already that the relationship between was breaking the down. Mr. Catherine Martin and the chair who, I mean, the, the, the relationship is very clear how it should be. The chair is the minister's avenue of communication to RT. It's, it's her main channel of communication for getting information for giving instructions and there there really needs to be a solid relationship there and Minister Martin alluded to this was the third occasion essentially where she felt that she was given wrong information or couldn't rely on the information and therefore I'd say it was it was breaking point so I, I to me it didn't sound like Minister Martin was overly disappointed with the, the result um, in that uh, Shunirali handed in her resignation. But um, it, it also takes her. away that suggestion that Catherine Martin threw uh, Shunirali under the bus. Ooh. <laughs> I'm not sure entirely. Like, you can see why that accusation would be made. Um, but certainly, I will say that, that uh, she was put in a very tough position position. Now, I've, I've said before, I'm not here as a spokesperson for Catherine Martin, and in fairness, she was well, well able to defend herself last night under quite robust question. I think she came out well, but I'm not sure. I mean, I put it to her. I, I said, listen, surely it was better to evade the question. As as you know, well, Patricia, you've had enough politicians on, on your show to know that we're brilliant at Evading. not answering questions. Yeah. So was this the time to kind of say, look, I, there's, there's, a, there's been... Um, information has been revealed it's quite significant i need to speak to the chair before i delve into it any further but you know the, the, 
her answer to that was, look, it was time to be transparent and public and upfront, which is fair enough as well, because that's not something that we get from politicians. But she also did everything in her power to not say, I've lost full confidence in exactly. Shunir Alec. She, and, and she was allowing some... her the opportunity to come the next day and speak to her. So you can understand the accusations have been thrown under the bus. You can understand when people say essentially it was a, a dismissal on air. But I don't know how else she could have possibly answered that question. She mm. was asked, do you have confidence? And she kept repeating, I want to afford Mr. Raleigh the opportunity to discuss this with her uh, and and to, to have a conversation. If she gave an alternative answer, if she said, um, I have full confidence in the in the chair, and then it emerged later that, you know, what happened happened, then she would have been held over the coals about that as well. So it was a kind of a, a no-win situation. And I think, look, could she have dealt with it better? Potentially. But I think the, the this, these calls for her head, calls for resignation of, of the minister are unjustified. This debacle and this scandal within RT and this culture of terrible governance, terrible practice goes back years. And you know, she wasn't responsible for the payment to Mr. Tubbley. She wasn't responsible for Toy Show the musical. She wasn't responsible for an exit package made to Breed O'Keefe of 450k, which is an astonishing figure. So it would have been harsh if if she was the one uh, to, to 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 lose. Um, as as some as our, one of our listeners said earlier, she's she's really taken on a poisoned a, chal- a chalice. But is it? But do we now need to hear from Shuani Rallick as to what was yeah. her Paul pattern last week? I, I think that's only fair. And, you know, if, if you saw the minister's expressions last night, and I think if you saw a lot of the committee members, there's a, a, a real fatigue around this. People are tired of it. It's it's dragged on for so long. Um, and the unfortunate thing is, and your listeners may want to hear this, this is going to roll on for another couple of, of months, I would say. And the reason I say that is, of course, we have to afford you know, like the opportunity to, to respond to statements made. That's that's only fair. And she may want to come into a committee and do that. We have to give her that opportunity. We also need to hear from the former Secretary General, just in case there are any question marks outstanding about the, the knowledge that the department had of the oversight that the board had in terms of exit packages, which is something that wasn't really properly cleared up last night. But I... I um, that we can do more on that. We need to potentially hear from the, the Director General again because the Director General attended that meeting where Shuni Raleigh yeah, stated Yeah, and there was a no lot of emphasis put on, on that and, and I imagine uh, Kevin Backhurst, like the rest of us around the country, was sitting at home uh, watching, watching it last night. It was better than any TV, I have to say. I mean, he has questions to answer. He was at that meeting when the Minister asked about knowledge of the exit package. Surely he should have said, no, Shuni, you're wrong there. This is what happened. Yeah, this this is an interesting one uh, because I I think at, at the committee last night I I was I I was of that feeling as well that yeah the DG was there he would have known um he should have stepped in and said actually Shun you 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 are aware of this you 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 did have oversight no um so we need to hear from him but I think what was alluded to um since was perhaps it was the case that. He didn't want to undermine the chair in front of the minister. He didn't want to embarrass her in front of the minister. And very shortly after that meeting, Shuni Raleigh was informed from someone that she actually was aware of the oversight. I suspect that may have been the DG, uh, Kevin Backhurst, who rang her to say, listen, Shun, there was an inaccuracy in what you told the minister in that meeting. I think you need to contact her. So potentially that's what that's what happened. We need to hear from him. Look, he, the Director General certainly hasn't covered himself in glory throughout all this in terms of the exit packages, the fact that he agreed to confidentiality in terms of payments to Richard Collins and, and to Rory Coveney. You, you, you have a real issue around that, the confidentiality clauses. 
I do, I do, and certainly going forward. And the only reason, look, I, I completely appreciate that exit packages are part and parcel of restructuring. You know, they, they're they're really important. I, I'm I'm not naive enough to say that that wasn't uh, um, necessary. The issue I have is in terms of the confidentiality. The reason I have an issue with the confidentiality is because it's it's you and I and the and the and the license fee pair. It, that's it's the money being used in terms of this exit package. So going forward, I think that needs to be done away with. I do know. Having we, we're we're very lucky here. Um, we, we have we have access to great legal advice in terms of parliamentary privilege, and and listeners may be familiar with parliamentary privilege. Is essentially um, TDs and senators can get away with certain things that you wouldn't be able to get away with outside of the dial in terms of things that you say and that could later be held held against you. So it's it's important because it means that you can trash out things. Um, but we got great advice in terms of how that would have extended to Kevin Backhurst were he to reveal. The information and the details around the the uh, exit packages. It turns out that he wouldn't necessarily have been covered legally, so he probably was getting good legal advice not to share that information. So he's kind of stuck as well. Okay, well, go, but going forward, can we make sure that there are not confidentiality clauses in? Exit That's what packages? he's. That is what he's going to seek to do. And also, okay. he has written to the individuals. He's written to. Um, those who availed of these new exit packages, would they share the information? No, they don't. They don't have to, and maybe they won't. But one thing we also are looking for is in the audited accounts to get an aggregated um, figure, so that we can kind of put pieces together and then figure out ourselves in terms of how much was paid. We won't be able to get it exactly uh, right. But the, you're right. The thing, the thing is, going forward, we need full transparency in terms of exit packages. Otherwise, you're going to continue to get accusations of golden handshakes and secret deals and it's just going to continue to rock confidence in RT. Okay, and then and, and then obviously now we've got to backfill a position of a chair. Is Shuani Raddick's position going to be hard to fill? I, I know one of the names that were being bandied about was the former RT presenter, uh, Mark Little of uh, the Storyful uh, founder mm. and he, he said it would be like catching a falling knife. Is it going to be very hard to get somebody to take on that position? <laughs> Yeah, and this applies to the DG as well. Like, I mean, if it, there, there was calls for the DG to, to resign or that people said they didn't have confidence. If, if you lose Kevin Backhurst, who the hell is going to want to take on that position? And then it probably more so applies to the chair of the board because the chair of the board is, is €31,000. Now, that's I, that's that's still a, a decent chunk of, of money in terms of a salary, but um, essentially you need someone with really high qualifications, knowledge of RT, knowledge of public broadcasting, of public service, someone who understands the role and communication. So you're going to have to get someone top-notch. So the Minister Martin is saying that she'll have the position filled within a week. Um, it's going to be challenging, but I, I really hope they do because then the, the, the rebuilding of trust has to begin because I understand that the existing board aren't too happy with the minister in terms of, of how things went down. So there's going to have to be this whole repairing of relationships um, between the board and the minister and, and everyone else involved. OK, and just to finish up, I mean, we've lost a, a chairwoman, a director general, a commercial director, a director of strategy, a chief financial officer, top paid broadcaster, all fallen, some would say, on their own swords. Where does all this saga and when does all this saga end? I, I I don't know. I really hope this time next year, Patricia, that we're not having the same conversation. Um, look, unfortunately, I, I mentioned that it's going to roll on because we have to. We probably will have to hear from Shunir Alik and the former Secretary General of the Department. We have these reports that's going to be published in three weeks' time into the governance of RT. Will this expose new revelations? I was talking to a former RT staff member recently who really has his blood up about this. He's really annoyed with um, the the 
you see, a lot of staff were afraid to speak out, Patricia, in terms of they, they saw the culture within RT and they were afraid to speak out in case they were moved on. Um, and, and they were able to speak silently about it. So he said, you know, wait till you get hold of the credit cards, essentially was his uh, comment in that, you know, these functions that people attended, etc. Um, look, look, you could keep on digging and digging and digging and find more and more revelations. I really think the focus now has to be on moving on because... RT content is suffering as well. I mean, we all grew up with an RT that we we loved, but now we're seeing repeats after repeat. We're seeing shows from 2020 that were aired three or four years ago, and it's starting to lose relevance. And we need to get back to to yeah. To and the, fu- the future the future funding model has got to be for once and for all uh, laid out. Okay, listen, I'll let you yep. go because I know you need to get into the doll, and you have you. four minutes to do it. Thank you for that, uh, Christopher, and thanks for joining Cheers, us. Uh, good afternoon. That is uh, West Cork Finnfall Door Deputy Christopher O'Sullivan, who is a member of the Oireachtas Media Committee and he was part of that uh, grilling of uh, Catherine Martin. She doesn't end for Catherine Martin because this afternoon she is going to be in the doll answering uh, questions regarding her handling of the crisis at RTE and she's expected to face uh, more than uh, an hour and a half of doll statements and that's following on from the three and a half hours that she had at the Oireachtas uh, Committee meeting yesterday so it certainly isn't ending for her. 0818103103 Can I get to some of your calls and comments? We were talking about school bus drivers and the it's looking like, well, certainly the minister wants bus Aaron to look at allowing people that when they reach the age of 70, if they are bus drivers or they want to become bus drivers, that they can stay on as school bus drivers at the moment. Once you're 70, you have to go. So um, there is, it's looking like she's going to look at that again. And somebody makes an interesting point. How many grandparents over the age of 70 collect their children from school every day? I know it's different to driving a bus, but we trust uh, grandchildren with their grandparents and many of them are well over 70 and we don't bat an eye about it. What is wrong with a fine, fit, healthy man or woman in their 70s being allowed to drive a a bus? And then we were talking about that leap year love night and the matchmaking night that's going on in the Strand Bar in Vickerstown with the Listoon Varna matchmaker, uh, Willie Daly. Uh, The girls in Mallow want to know, can married men and women uh, go uh, and meet up with friends? Well, I suppose you can as, as long as you fess up and say you're not there for romance that you want to just go along to meet friends I don't see anything wrong with that because it is very much uh, Maureen was explaining it's about friendship as well as it would be nice if romance uh, blossomed and then someone else says when we were talking about if you're out and about and you see people going out for a night out it's my bugbear when I'm at a restaurant keep looking around at restaurants and you see people at tables and everybody's looking at their phones instead of talking to each other. Pat says, Patricia, people that sit at a table playing or looking at their phones, they're called married people. Ooh, says Pat. Oh, it won it. On the HSC issue that we dealt with earlier when we got some queries in from Some Home Helps about a new roster system that has been introduced. And from what I can gather from the statement from the HSC uh, Cork Kerry Community Healthcare Statement, we were getting calls in from the Bandon area but they say this is following national agreement between the HSE and staff representatives the healthcare assistance i.e. the home helps their contract of employment contain 
it requires them to be rostered on and it is looking like Home Helps are going on to four week rosters. That isn't sitting well with everyone because it means that if you are in receipt of home care assistance hours, you could have a different home care assistant where you'll have one of four is what you are going to have from the team that will be assigned to your house and to your area. Somebody says, Patricia, home help workers in North Cork following a recent meeting, the four home helps were put together on a roster. If one wants or needs to go on holidays, then they'll need to arrange their own cover with the other three. If there's no cover available, you can't take your holidays. Many are wondering, what if there's a family emergency? What if somebody becomes unwell? It has to be decided between the four who are in the rota together. That God, that's putting a lot of pressure, isn't it, on, on the home helps themselves? Hi, Patricia. The HSC, I feel, is not demonstrating any empathy in the care of older people in the community by introducing this new rostered system. Older people like their routine. They like to know who's coming into their house every day or every evening. The care of our older citizens, who remember were the ones who built up this country, is now being modelled on an assembly line system where humanity is losing out to efficiency. Ireland, I feel, has lost its heart. It is a very sad times indeed. And someone else says, it should have been the people who were cared for. They were the ones who should have been consulted. These are vulnerable people and many of them are not open to having different people coming into their house. Many of them have to hand their house key over and this now has been done at the discretion of the HSE. I feel it is a disgrace. 0818 103 103. And then we had a home help in North Cork who is uh, a bit annoyed about the fact that their timesheets and their mileage information, they must do it all online and she wrote to us saying she's not tech savvy, she doesn't have an, an iPad, she doesn't have a laptop and we are getting onto the HSC to see if they will still accept physical paperwork from some of their home care uh, workers. Marion Donnerell says she wasn't very computer aware or tech savvy but she ended up doing a course in the Nagel Rice College in Donnerell. She found it fantastic. So for maybe for those who are out there that are a bit fearful about computers, there are courses, they run in the evening time in a lot of the uh, the night school colleges and they are very helpful and they start right at the very basics so that might be something people could consider. On the reverse vending machines and me yesterday not being able to do it because the machine was out of order rather frustrating I had to bring the bottles back to the car and I will attempt to do it again today James from Cloyne travelled by bus and train yesterday and he picked up in total seven bottles all of them have the return logo on them left on people's seats people are not bothered about getting their money back so James has picked up the bottles himself and he's going to get the money back good on you James and then on loss through Covid that we spoke about with the hospice the Hospice Foundation and their report that is out. Mary was on. Mary sadly lost her mother four years ago. That would have been in the very early days of uh, COVID. Mary's mum was in a nursing home and there were only two family members allowed in to see her. Mary says they can do as many surveys as they like but they will still not show the true picture of the rawness and the grief that families are still feeling. Only a small number of people are asked to take part in those surveys. In fairness the Irish Hospice they had 2,000 people doing it it was, um, I'm assuming it was done online so that was a pretty big enough uh, survey but I know for the COVID inquiry uh, Care Choice are one of the groups that they very much want the voices of the bereaved to be heard and only time will tell when they set out the terms of reference for the COVID inquiry uh, and I, I 
feel 100% the voices of the bereaved will have to be heard. And then when we were talking about that with the, with the Hospice Foundation, we mentioned the fact that funerals were very small and that was, for some people, they found that extremely difficult, not being able to have the big Irish traditional large funerals that we have where all the family members are able to attend. And I spoke about that family that I remember back in the early days when we were back back really in the throes of COVID and we were only allowed to have 10 people at a funeral and we had a family that had 10 siblings. So literally the 10 siblings, none of the grandchildren were able to go, none of the spouses were able to go, none of the siblings of the person who passed away was literally just the 10 children and the loneliness then of walking out of the cemetery and 10 people getting into 10 individual cars and just driving home. Well, somebody was on to say, I lost my wonderful mother during the pandemic and it was at the time where you were only allowed to have 25 at a funeral. For me, it was absolutely perfect because hand on heart, I have to say, the last thing I wanted to do was have a typical large Irish funeral. Not everybody wants the big wakes, not everybody wants the big crowds. So it did work in the favour for other people uh, as well, which I accept. Now, the Mayor of the County of Cork, Councillor Frank O'Flynn, has welcomed the decision of On Board Planola to grant permission for remedial works to the existing Formoy Weir, which of course we know is a protected structure, and the construction of a new fish pass on the riverbank water. Uh, Frank O'Flynn, uh, Mayor of Cork County, joins me. Uh, good afternoon to you, Frank. Uh, good, e- good afternoon, Patricia, and good afternoon, listeners. You're very welcome to the programme. Now, this really is good news, isn't it? Because it's planning for both. Oh, this is great news for, for my industry. area. This is something I've been chasing now, and I'm um, about four or five years ago, I was chairman of my ministry when we put in the first uh, uh, application. But in, over the last two years, when the application went in, and so it's taking two years for uh, both laws to make the decision. And the good news, Patricia and listeners, is this: we've got full planning for both the fish pass and and the weir. Because they could have made the decision that you do the weir and do the fish fish pass later. But Cochrane Council are the owners of the fish pass of the weir, and everyone knows that they actually uh, protect the structure. So it is great news to get that planning. Yesterday. And do you know why it took so long, Frank? Two years seems oh. an excessively long period of time. Patricia and listeners, it's absolutely crazy. We have numerous housing projects at the moment on Cockney Council with the board. And often there's maybe someone might object to which they're entitled to, but it can take so long. Two years is absolutely crazy. Now, and we had a lot of preliminary chatting and discussion with them as well before we actually put it in. But we, we crossed all our T's, dotted all our I's, with a very, very good application. And I'm delighted now that this is one of the best news stories for, for my for many, many days. And I look forward now within the next seven to eight weeks, there's a cooling off period, and we'll be putting our uh, application in out to tender. And our consultants, as I talked about, Jeff Patricia, are actually working in there. Yeah, I was just I was going to ask well, how, how how will the pro- the project uh, progress? The first thing is to get it out to tender, is it? It has to go to tender, and as everyone knows, uh, since we became member of the EU, every Every project now under 25,000 has to go to EU tender. And a project like this, which is very, very large, uh, there definitely will be lots of interestness. So our consultants are working in it in areas and it can go to tender within the next 68 weeks. And I look forward to a decision being made. And I hope that uh, maybe an Irish uh, contractor, first of all, to also provide quite a lot of employment locally. But this is wonderful news for Fumari, for the fishing clubs locally, for the rowing club, which has major issues down through the years uh, since the weir gave, gave way. And then, of course, we had COVID. And also for tourism, the Blackwater Valley, we don't play to our strength. We don't sell it enough. 
and this is a wonderful news. And tourism going forward, I think, will be probably one of the biggest interests in, in Ireland. And we have to put that to work on it. We have a separate section on Cockmundy Council for tourism and economic development. That's how much we think of it. That's what we're driving it. It's actually a local girl that's actually driving it for Cockmundy Council. And I've no doubt it's going to be a major boost for my understanding areas. Okay, Tom, who's a fisherman, says this really is a great no- news. Uh, well done to all in Cork County Council. How much will it cost, uh, Frank, and do you know where funding will come from? Well, we had some uh, costs, um, uh, Patricia, and now we're about two and a half years down the road, and everyone knows how costings have gone since I went up and since uh, COVID and since the war in Ukraine, and the costings that were there two, two and a half years ago are probably... I see you're, ta- you're talking about just co- probably just shot of five minutes. And okay. it costs something similar. The whale costs something similar to new by, uh, fish bypass. And the other thing is this, it, um, the boat would have to be carried out at the same time. And also there's some restrictions because uh, there'd be only something when you would be allowed to walk. You won't be allowed to walk, say, in the winter months or the spring months when the river is high. So that, that will also put some, some constraints in it. But our consultants are working in that. Now we're looking up Hock County Council, and I'm very lucky that she is mayor. We have, we have made provisions uh, uh, under the, our loan framework program, as I, I flagged this about three years ago with Tim Lucy, our chief executive at the time, that this is coming on and said, we need the money. We own the way, so we're responsible for that. But in relation to the fish bypass, uh, we will need some significant funding in that. And in fact, we're working on that at the moment. So I've no doubt funding will not be initially in the year. There'll be some work to be done, but we have a lot of uh, funding put aside under the, the framework program. That's our loan framework program where we get putting place funding from EU projects, from major capital projects, and the way out for my is included in that. And we're lucky that we have made those uh, provisions over the past couple of years. So now we go, we go to Tinder, and I hope that we'll get um, contractors in a matter of months and the works can works start. Can start. OK, so, and let's stay on the good news while I have you on the line. Um, the main street in Formoy, we've been often getting complaints in about the surface on the main street in Formoy. You have some news on that? Well, uh, great news. And recently, I've been pushing this. The one you had the, the, the new round, the, the safety, um, at, um, we'll say, at the Protestant Church in Formoy, which is well known, uh, we're going to put in new safety features there. That comes in from the Mallow Road, comes out from the, the old Cock, uh, Dublin Road, and comes in from Fahili Road. So that's going to be put in place. And also, all the way, we call it Christchurch, why, as the local people would know. Yeah. And we're going to resurface that right down to the square. And also, there's money put in place. One quarter million for both projects. That is the resurfacing up from my main street, Patrick Street. I've raised it on numerous occasions, which are, I'm delighted now, finally, that the funding has been put in place. Do you know when that work will start? I'm talking to my local engineer and he said he'll probably go to Tinder as soon as possible. It will be a major um, contract. Uh, our own workforce wouldn't be. And also we're guaranteed that for the businesses and the people who come to that the work will be carried out at night. Oh, that's even better because I was and just about to say there will be delays obviously with yeah. st- stop and starts. But if they, I, if I they do it at night. And just breaking news while I go, Patricia, for listeners is the first uh, affordable housing scheme in Formai for the best part of 18, 20 years just announced 20 affordable houses for my is now going up on, on, on our website and I'm asking people that are interested in it to show their interest, expressions of interest. Last week with 25 social houses for my now we've affordable 20 affordable houses. And Patricia, you know, they're for people who cannot get on the housing ladder yeah. and they're people who cannot get lower and they're also outside the, the social housing. List. And there, there are people that are paying a fortune in rent actually paying more on their rent than they would if they had a mortgage. Oh, 
absolutely unbelievable. Like people paying fourteen, fifteen hundred yeah. a month, and they're probably eight or nine hundred a month with covered. And everyone knows you, you need your own door, and for, for, for they bring up your family and have that education and that peace of mind. And many, many families at the moment, they, from one end of the week to the other, they don't know whether they'll get a notice to quit. And there's quite a lot of people at the moment who own those houses over in Tim. And they're always conscious that they're conscious. But they are now selling them at the heist of the market. And those people didn't lift on the side of the road. And it is absolutely very, very difficult. And it doesn't lean well to the proper education of their sons and daughters when they're going to school in those conditions. So it's great news for Troy. Okay. Because they're 45 in about 10 or 12 days. 25 social and 20 affordable. And people can find out more about them on Cork County Council's website? Cork County Council website. We will be looking for expressions of interest. There's numerous people who have been touched with me already and we'll be taking on board. And this is going to be the first batch of affordable housing for my... The last batch about 20 years ago worked exceptionally well. And the families I met on most occasions, people moved in first day, are still there. And yeah. I look forward to this housing scheme. That's for my, it's a great town to come to live. And that loan will, will cover for my and the surrounding areas. Everyone in North Hawk can apply for those. And Tinder every day you come up with 20 affordable houses. So it's a good news story. Okay. All right, listen, we leave it there. Thank you for that. Have a good day and thanks for joining us. Thank you, Patricia. Uh, good morning or good afternoon to you. That is the Mayor of Cork County, Frank O'Flynn, with some good news for the Formoy uh, area. Pat was on to the programme about vapes. He was in a shop this morning. Now he says the shop he was in is surrounded by schools and he noticed a sign up in the shop stating three vapes, for, these are the disposable ones, three disposable vapes for 20 euro Fridays only. Pat feels that that particular sign is targeting young people and teenagers who may be vaping or about to uh, take it up. Well, it is illegal to sell a vape to anybody under the age of 18. I imagine the shop themselves will say that they're putting it up uh, to target their customers. But having said that, I, I pass a secondary school most days uh, going home and the amount of young people that are vaping. I Actually, it is rare that I would now see a teenager with a cigarette in their hand. We seem to have got the message through to young people about cigarettes and how nasty and awful and how bad cigarettes are for you. But absolutely 100% it has been replaced with vapes. And I know the laws are there saying you you can't sell uh, to anybody under the age of 18, but they are somehow getting their hands on vapes. But it's a little bit like you're not allowed to sell alcohol uh, to teenagers, to anybody under the age of 18, but teenagers uh, will get their hands on alcohol as well. But certainly there is uh, a, a huge huge, huge increase in the amount of young people. Just watch any school as they're coming out from school, as they're walking home. You'll see the amount of them vaping. Oh eight one eight one oh three one oh three, And this is a lengthy, now I haven't read over this, so fingers crossed that I'm okay reading this out. This is to do with home helps and somebody who is working as a, a home help, a healthcare assistant, doesn't want their name called out, which is fine, to says there are many, many flaws with this new roster system. Uh, the the Home Help said, the union have stated that we voted for this, but no workers can ever remember voting this in. So therefore, the union cannot help us. The HSC, this Home Help feels they do not want families knowing what is going on. Read this new roster system. They don't want calls to the HSC office. We already get a list of clients that we need to cover from 8am in the morning to 2pm in the afternoon. We need a very good reason why 
uh, if we don't get all of the jobs done and we run over and we're still doing the work at 2pm. If we run over, we must explain why. Even if we're covering another Home Helps client list, which means we have more work to, work to, do, work to do, we are told we must do it all within the same time frame. The big example is the implementation of this box that will have to be put up near the door of the person that the Home Help is caring for. The box comes with a four-digit code and that's where the key to the house is left inside in the box. The four home helps on the roster will have the four digit number but this home helps issue is I will have my list with the names of the people and then the code next to them. If that gets stolen if my notebook gets stolen, where is the security? Currently, we have keys for the homes with no markers or anything on them. So nobody knows if I lost the keys, that that was the key to a front door of an elderly uh, person. I am fearful about this. Wow. Yeah, I can straight away see a problem with that. Now, I do know those those digital boxes operate really well, but you have to make sure that nobody gets access to the number. So, yeah, uh, I'm, that's an issue that certainly the home care assistants themselves need to bring up uh, with the HSE and with their managers. And by the way, it's interesting that that Home Help said that they don't ever remember voting on anything. The, what the HSE tell us was that there was a national agreement between the HSE and staff representatives. Uh, and that's where these rosters came out of. So they, the HSE are not saying there was a vote, but they just say that the staff representative groups, the unions must have gone in with the HSE and decided on this new healthcare assistance contract of employment. But it doesn't look like the workers themselves are happy with what has come out. Great news for Fomoy from Councillor Franco Flynn, but I just wish they'd monitor the 15 minute parking space rule on Patrick Street in Fomoy. The same cars are parked there every morning and they're there for four to five hours, way more than the 15 minute uh, rule. Okay, that's where we leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Mark Malone is in for Nick Richards this afternoon and he'll be looking for two more qualifiers for Snap the App. We're back with you tomorrow morning at 10. Until then, I'm Patricia Messenger. Very good afternoon. Cork Today on C103. With McCarthy Insurance Group, proud sponsors of the Cork GAA Club Football Leagues and Championships. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.,